Turn there in uh, Acts chapter 27 and stand as you turn. And I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. How many of you enjoyed Thanksgiving this week? And uh, Thanksgiving is probably my favorite holiday out of the year. I enjoy the Christmas season and or Christmas Day and all that it's about. But Christmas season is incredibly busy, isn't it? And all the extras. But Thanksgiving feels that way just without all the extras. And I, I love it. I, I enjoyed it. I'm also still recovering from it. And some of us played football Thursday morning. And each day my body has been a little less sore, and uh, it will, I'm sure it'll be back to normal by next Thanksgiving, and, uh, but we had a great Thanksgiving, and I hope you did as well, and just spending time, family, friends, thanking God for what he's done for us, and, but Acts chapter 27, verse 9, and we're going to skip around a little bit through this passage of scripture, it says in Acts 27, verse 9, now, when much time was spent, when the sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them. And said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the ladening of the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, and the more part advised to be to part thence also, if by any means they might attain unto Phenis and there to winter, which is in a haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not, but not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And, uh, and running under a certain island, which is called Claudio, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps in undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strike sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, and all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Skip down to verse 30. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under the colors, though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, The day is fourteen day that we have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Wherefore I pray you to take some meat. For this is for your health, for there shall not a hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. Verse 35 says, And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. I want to preach tonight on giving thanks in the midst of Eurocladon. Giving thanks in the midst of Eurocladon. Lord, I thank you just for all that you have done for us, your goodness to us, your grace. I thank you for this passage of scripture that we can open up to. Lord, we can learn about the life of Paul and how you worked in his life. But Lord, it wasn't just for him, it was for us as well. You said all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. And Lord, we know it's for us. And I pray that as I preach your word, that your Holy Spirit would touch each one of our hearts, strengthen us by your word. We love you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Here, Paul began to give thanks in the middle of the storm. If I were to go back to uh, verse 20 again and read a little bit more of the story, it says, And then when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. 
Well, after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye have hearkened unto me, ye, ha- ye should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. And then it would go into, but when the 14th night was come and the, the storm would continue. But here what catches my attention, obviously, in this story is verse 35, where it says, And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. He took bread and gave thanks. I, I've been studying just through the course of the last couple of weeks and just giving thought to this matter of giving thanks and looked at places in the scripture where, where folks gave thanks to the Lord. And no surprise, they didn't just do it in good times. And I was looking at the story of the ten lepers and, uh, that were healed of their leprosy. And nine of them would go on and forget to come back and give thanks. But one would return and give thanks. And what a reason he had to give thanks. He had, been, had a disease uh, that was eating away at his flesh and he had been healed. He had been an outcast from his family and from society. And yet he had been restored. And he had good reason to praise the Lord. Here in this passage of scripture we see a man giving thanks in the middle of a storm. A storm so bad it had its own name. That's pretty much a bad storm, all right? We still name storms today, but this storm had its own name. It was a familiar time of year, as a matter of fact. When Paul would warn them in verse 9, it says, Now when much time was spent with sailing, was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed. Speaking of the Day of Atonement, it would have put it somewhere that year in the month of October, and that was a bad time to be sailing the seas. It was a storm that was natural to the season. Uh, The the sailors were accustomed to this fact that that time of year was not a good time to be sailing where they were. And Paul would give them warning. I was thinking as I read that, just the fact that some storms of life, they're just natural to the seasons of life, aren't they? Uh, There are inevitable trials and circumstances of life that come along in different seasons of life that nobody escapes. They are natural to the seasons of life. And uh, the Lord even reminds us in Scripture not to think it, or, or He reminds us in James, it says that, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. God allows them into our life for the strengthening purpose. And this storm came along at a, it was a natural season of life. And I think, Friend, we will go into storms in our life that are inevitable aspects and they are just seasons of life. Life is seasonal. But some entered into this storm, if you will, they, it was avoidable for some to be in it. If you look here in this passage of Scripture in verse, verse 10, it says, And he said to them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading of the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Here for the centurion and the master of the ship, they had been warned, hadn't they? They had been given a warning, but they decided not to heed the warning. And not to heed the warning, and they sailed straight in to the storm. There are storms of life that are not only seasonable, but sometimes we enter into storms by our own choice. 
I was thinking of Ahab in the, in the Old Testament and Ahab that would decide to go to war. And uh, I can't remember which of the kings of the northern kingdom that was with him that would, he has to go with him. And he asked, is there not a prophet of God? And Micaiah, the prophet, would show up. And he showed up and uh, Ahab asked him, will we win this battle? And Micaiah spoke up and said, oh, absolutely, you'll, you'll win this battle. It's, it's just going to happen. And then Ahab got a little mad and he said, I told you to tell me essentially, I'll paraphrase, what you think what God would have, not tell me what I want to hear. And Micaiah knew Ahab only wanted to hear what he wanted to hear. And so Micaiah would speak up and say, well, there was angels in heaven and God stood before them and said, who will go deceive those prophets around Ahab and tell him that he'll win the battle? And one of them raised his hand and went down and one of the other prophets, false prophets around him would slap Micaiah's face and then, of course, Micaiah would warn him, you're not going to come back from this battle. You won't return from it. And after hearing the warning, Ahab decided to disguise himself and go into battle. His disguise didn't work. Man drew a bow at a venture and threw that, shot that arrow and it, took Ahab, and it took Ahab's life. Completely ignoring the counsel and the advice that was given to him. And boy, sometimes we walk into trials because we ignore the warnings that God put in our life. We just flat ignore it. There are trials and storms of life that come because they're natural to life. There's some that come because of our own failings. There's storms that come because of the decisions of others. Here we see Paul in this storm and the seamen that were in the storm because those in leadership decided that they would go against the counsel they had received. You know, sometimes we go through trials of life, not our own decisions, but because of the decisions of others around us, don't we? Those are hard ones to deal with. And uh, Paul found himself in the middle of a storm despite him giving counsel. And these that were with him, 200 and some souls, later in the chapter we would see. And they found them, many of them in a storm. Not of their own, they found them there in spite of the fact that those in leadership had received a warning, but they decided to go into it on their own. There's a reminder, friend, and any, but any father, any person, any place of leadership to remember, you aren't alone in the decisions that you make. And they sailed into a storm, and it was such a storm that it was a named storm that they feared that their lives would be taken from them. And I, and I think of this, sometimes we find ourselves in storms that we wonder, I wonder how I will find my way through this one. How will we make it through this storm? And that was the type of storm that they were in. Our lives are lost. They're lost. We're not going to make it. We're going to die here in the midst of these sea. And, and of course, the Lord gives a word to, to Paul that he would share with those folks on the ship. But the next thing you know, we see some folks giving thanks while the storm was still raging. Uh, boy, it's, it's easy to give thanks in good times, isn't it? It's easy. I think, of this, I think of that around Thanksgiving season. I think it's easy to give thanks sitting around the Thanksgiving table, maybe. Family around, friends around, plenty of food on the table and all of those things. Now, maybe for some this Thanksgiving season, it wasn't as easy because they're seeing empty spots. Christmas season is hard for some as they look around and see empty spots. Folks who, are, who would have been there or that are not there. But the reality is there are, there are times of life that are that it is easy to thank and praise God. But there are plenty of seasons when it is not easy to thank and praise God. And in this passage of Scripture, the circumstances said there was death was imminent, that it was coming, and yet we see folks beginning to praise the Lord. 
catches my attention because there's a verse in Corinthians says that it's required in a steward that a man be found what? Faithful. One of the things God looks for from his people, from his stewards, is their faithfulness to him. I think of the scripture where it says, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. What? Concerning you. I, I think most of us would say when we stand before the Lord, we want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not everybody will. Matter of fact, Corinthians reminds us that some will stand there and be saved, yet so as by fire. Everything that they've done with their life will burn away. They'll be left with nothing. and They'll be there in glory, but that's the extent of it. And that's an amazing thing to be in glory. And salvation, I think of the two judgment seats, the two judgments ahead that lie ahead, and one of them is the great white throne judgment where the lost will stand there and the books of life will be open and when their name is not found written therein, the Lord will say, depart from me for I never what? Knew thee. I'm thankful that for me that, that's settled. My name is written in that book. If you're glad your name is written, say amen. amen. That's a settled thing for you and I. But that's a benefit to us, isn't it? The next judgment that's coming, that judgment seat, that judgment seat of Christ for the Christian is about whether we've lived for him. Well, I'm thankful for what God did for me in saving me, but now it's not about what I've done, what he has done for me, but it's about how I will live for him. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, our works will be weighed in the balance and it will see, how did you live for me? Not just what God had done for me and what I believed in him, but what I, how I have lived my life for him. And one of the things the Lord will ask of uh, that requ- it's required in a steward that a man be found faithful to give thanks. To be willing and able to thank God in every circumstance of life. And that is difficult. That is difficult. Yet in this passage of scripture, we see someone praising God in the middle of the storm and even leading others to do those very things. I want you to look at verse 23. And I think there's some things in Paul's life that led him to the ability to thank God in these times. Verse 23, it said, Paul would say this. Well, verse 22 into verse 23. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, and then notice this statement, whose I am and whom I serve. You know, Paul, I think of this. There was a pre-existing relationship with God. Paul had a pre-existing relationship with God. Here he is in the middle of the storm and he wasn't looking for God. He already knew God. He wasn't looking for where he could find him. He already knew him. He knew the one who had made this world in which he found himself. He, he knew the one who had made the sea that he was on and the, the wind that was blowing and the stars that maybe he could barely see at night. And he knew the one who had made the lives of those that were on that ship with him. He knew the one who had spoken the world into existence and by whom all things consist. And while the sailors were wondering what was happening, he knew the one that was in control of it all. And he had a pre-existing relationship with God when he entered into the storm. I was thinking of the, the, the passage of scripture uh, brother, my, my father-in-law preached from this morning in Psalms 86, 1 through 3 it said this, bow down thine ear, O Lord hear me for I am poor and needy preserve my soul for I am holy, O thou my God. Save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord for I cry unto thee daily. 
I cry unto thee daily. Paul, and it would be said of Paul in Acts chapter 16, 6 through 10. Now when they had gone through Phrygian of the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately uh, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. He was already following his Lord. He was already walking with his God. He had a pre-existing relationship with the one who was already in the storm. I tell you something, I have a pre-existing relationship with the Lord that goes all the way back to May of 1995 at Madera Baptist Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. But a daily walk with God. As the storm came, Paul already knew the God who was in control of the storm. He's already walking with him. He was already in prayer with him. He was already hearing from his word. He was already in the place he should be with the Lord. He was already knew the God who was in control of that storm. And I think how important it is in our life. Eurachlodons come into our life. Storms are inevitable. Whether they are the natural season of life, whether they are the foolish decisions that we make in our life, whether the result of others around us that pull us into storms beyond our control, the fact of the matter is they are inevitable aspects of life. And when you find yourself in them, it is best to already be walking with God. It is best to already be walking with God. I tell you, it's hard to thank God when you're still trying to find him. It's hard. Where are you? My storms aren't blowing. Where are you? I need to see you. And the reality was we weren't looking for him when times were good. It was just the Rioclodon that came into our life that made us go looking. And now we're stuck. But Paul had a pre-existing relationship with God where he had been following the Lord and serving his Lord and, and, and walking with the Lord. And he would write those scriptures in Galatians. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And he, he would talk about being filled with the Spirit and he would talk about the Spirit-filled life and the Spirit-led life. And he would call others to live the life that he was already living in. And as he walked into the storm, he walked into the storm beside his Lord. And when everybody else on that boat felt like everything was going to fall apart, he knew God. And he was walking with his God. I believe this. Storms are inevitable. They are inevitable. But where I'm at with God when the storm comes is not. Where I'm at with the, that storm comes is, it's not. I make that decision to walk with him. I make that decision to spend time with him. I, I make that decision of where I'll be with the Lord, that, that time in prayer and that time in his word and that, that searching of my heart to make sure that my heart is, is right with God and, and where I'm at in that walk makes a big difference to my spirit when I'm in the battle. The love, the joy, the peace, the gentleness, the long-suffering or the turmoil. 
God working in our life. I, I was thinking this last Tuesday night as we had our pie prayer and praise service and some of the praises and started with those praises of, of testimonies of salvation. And then that, that next praise is scripture that has meant something to you in your life. That God would work in our heart through the scripture. God would work in our heart through the scripture. Philippians has meant much to me this year. In Philippians 4, 4 through 8, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. I remember going to the hospital, Hannah giving me that call when Silas had passed and, uh, and knowing the next day as we were going into, uh, to, she was going to have to deliver that baby and yet two weeks prior, the Lord had given me this scripture. And I'm thankful that that scripture carried me through the next few months. It was already there. God was already where I believe this. You know, God has for you today what you need today and tomorrow. God is ready to give you what you need to carry you through. Where will you be with God when the storm comes? Paul was already there with the Lord. He had a pre-existing relationship with God that when the storm came, he knew who was in control of the storm. He was already walking with God. A matter of fact, when God had a message for those on, on the boat, he gave it by way of Paul. As a matter of fact, I think the folks on the boat were spared because of Paul. Because he had a pre-existing relationship with God. And I would challenge you with this, Christian. There's two reasons to walk with God. Number one, it's just because who he is. I tell you what, I, you ought to walk with God just because he wants to walk with you. It amazes me that the one who spoke this world into existence desires to spend time with me. And you know, he made you to walk with him. When he put Adam and Eve in the garden, he didn't walk with the animals in the cool of the day. He walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He wanted to spend time with them. That's what he made them for. When sin entered into the world, that separation was, that relationship was broken, and God went to great extents to restore it. He gave those incredible pictures in the Old Testament through the sacrifices and the law, just a shadow of things to come. And that shadow was fulfilled at Calvary as the Lord gave himself once for all for our sin and died on that cross and rose again. But even before he rose again, that veil was torn in twain in the temple that we could enter into the Holy of Holies and have a relationship with God. And if there's any reason to walk with God, it's just because he wants to walk with you. Number two, because you desperately need to. Because we desperately need him. What's the hymn we sang this morning? What was that guy, Lafarve or whatever his name was? You said it better than I. Without him, without him, I, I could do nothing. Lord reminds us in John chapter 15 that he is the vine and we are the branches. 
Friend, in other words, friend, sometimes we're not careful. We have a brittle Christianity. A branch trying to live apart from the vine because we're failing to walk with him. When in reality, Christian, the only life we have is from him. Where will you be with God when the storm does come? Paul had a pre-existing relationship with his God. And then we see that he had a promise to stand on. Verse 20, again, 22, it says, And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe, God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I, what? Believe, God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Notice Paul was given a, prom- given a promise, that's, but that's not where he, it ended. He decided to believe the promise. God gave him the promise and he said, all, I, I'm gonna, you're going to come through and I'm going to give all those that are saying with thee. And then Paul would say this, and I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. God gave him a promise and he chose to stand upon the promise. See, I, I, I believe this. One of the things that can bring a man to thanksgiving is when he has a promise to stand upon. A promise to stand upon. I think of Timothy and in 2 Timothy 3, the chapter says this, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, we're there, covetous, we're there, boasters, we're there, proud, we're there, blasphemers, we're there, disobedient to parents, we're there, unthankful, we're there, unholy, we're there, without natural affection, we're certainly there, truce breakers, we're there, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and leave captive facility women, laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Doesn't that describe our world? Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. We live in a world in which knowledge is more readily available than any other time in history. Whether it's through formal education or the materials at your hand or the, or the media online. Ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janice and Jambres withstood Moses, so do those also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs was also was. But thou, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystria, with persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's inevitable. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And here's the answer. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. He said, perilous times are coming. Eurachlodon is coming. Storms are coming. Trials are coming. And here it is. You have a promise. Now live by the promise. People of the word. People of doctrine. 
People of principle, manner of life, people of promise, the reward for following Christ. And we live in a world in which the, it, it's shaking and it's changing. And God says, here is the answer. Be a person of promise and not just someone who possesses it, but someone who says, I believe God. Paul didn't just have a promise. He said, I believe what God said in his promise. Friend, you can have a promise in it, but it'll make a difference when you choose to believe and live the promise. Live the promise. We live in a world that's making the promise murky. Making doctrine as if it's something to be debated rather than something to be lived. It bothers me as I looked around in our culture and it's like sometimes we, we pursue unity at all costs. Do you remember the Tower of Babel? There was unity at the Tower of Babel. There sure was. It was a unity bothered that bothered God. Matter of fact, that unity was centered around something. Remember what it was centered around? Man. Man. Look what we can do. Let's gather together. We'll build this tower to the stock cars. There's nothing that can stop man. And God said, I can. I gave you a command to go fruitful, multiply. They were supposed to be in scattering, but they were staying. They developed a unity around man, not around God, and God scattered them. I'll tell you what, when any, whenever unity demands the compromise of truth, it is not a unity that pleases God. Unity is meant to be around him around God. Stand on the promises. Grab the truths of God's word. And I, I tell you this, if this is unstable for you, your rockladon's coming. Your rockladon's coming. It's coming. The promises, the doctrines and the truths of God's word meant to be believed, but not merely believed, but lived not just a creed on a paper, but a practice in our life. I think of the promises that God gives me as I, as I live according to this book, the rewards, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be what? Added unto you as I seek God first and follow his word, as I call upon his name and live by the principles of this book, he gives me something that is the reward of God. And here is Paul. He's the world, the, the, the storm looks like it's going to take everything and take all of their lives and sink their ship. And yet Paul says, no, God gave me a promise and I believe God. All of us have the promise. But the separating factor is whether we believe it and live it. There it is. He had, Paul had a pre-existing relationship with God. And he had a promise to live. Paul was telling Timothy, Timothy, it's coming. It is coming. Friend, it is coming. It's getting dark. It's like the world feels it. Don't watch much of the world's movies, but if you were to pay any attention at all, how many of them are filled with darkness, depravity, 
destruction, end of the world. It's as if there's something even in the nature of man that says, it's getting dark. How many people warn us, I'm not a global warming person, all right, if you haven't figured that. In the Old Testament, the Lord says, the seasons will never cease, all right, winter and summer, all those things. And if that has to be true, then God has to be a liar, so don't buy it. Now, I believe we should care for what God has given to us and steward it. But it's like even the world has this feeling in their gut. Something inside of them says, it's getting dark. And if you're a Christian, it's getting dark. I look at my children, it's getting dark. But I'm reminded of something. I have a promise. I have a promise. I have a scripture. I had a God who gave it, and I'm going to make a decision in my life. I believe God. I believe God. And, if I, and with everything in me, I'm going to try to hand to my children, there is a promise, and I believe God. And we'll try as a church to hand off to another generation, there is a promise, and we believe God. We're going to hold to its truths and hold to its doctrine and be people of the word and people of principle, following the truths of God's word, because, friend, it is dark, and the answer is God's word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. A promise. Eurachlodon's there, and Paul says, I have a promise. Not only will I be saved, but you'll be saved. He had a pre-existing relationship with God, and he had a promise. And I'll tell you something, Christian. If you want to endure the storms of life, have a pre-existing relationship with God and have the promise. And believe it. Hold fast to it. Don't be lured away from it by seducing spirits. Don't be pulled away from it from the circumstance of life. Have a promise and a belief in the promises of God's word. Hold fast to it. He had a promise. He, and as a result of that, as he stood there on the ship, I, I don't know how they were breaking bread and eating while the storm was knocking it all back and forth. I, Brother Mills has spent, he's, I don't see him, but Brother Mills has spent some time out on the seas in the Navy. Maybe Brother Len's not doing well tonight. I could ask them, but I don't know how they did it. But I know how he found a way to praise his God. Because he had a pre-existing relationship with God. And he had a promise. But not only did we see that he had a pre-existing relationship and a promise, but he had a purpose for his journey. Look at verse 24. Verse 22, let's just read into it. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Oh, Paul, I'm bringing you before Caesar. I have something for you to do. Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, we see that record of, of Paul's call and how God called him on the Damascus road. And there was a disciple, it says in verse 10, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. 
Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to the saints at Jerusalem. And there he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. The Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Acts 23, 11, about two years before this time on the ship. It says, In the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Ephesians 3, 1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, he made it to Rome. He didn't say he was a prisoner of Rome. He said he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. There's someone to be a prisoner for. Philippians 4, 22, All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Being confident, Philippians 1, 6, Paul would write back to those Philippians. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. There was a purpose. There was a purpose. Paul could look and say, I, I know there's a storm. But God has a purpose. He's got something for me. There's something ahead of me. I'm taking the gospel. Matter of fact, he had just left. He'd spent two years there at Caesarea, there on the coast of the Mediterranean. When you guys sent us there, we had the opportunity to stand there and, and walk on some of those, the old, the old stone part of the docks that would have gone out into the Sea of Mediterranean from some, maybe some of the very places where Paul stepped out and walked as he boarded the ship and headed on out from Caesarea. He had stood there at Caesarea and he had stood before Agrippa and before Festus and had, and, uh, and had and given that message. And, and Agrippa would say, almost thou persuadest me. Almost. Now he was on his way to Rome. His ministry was about to change. Paul had spent his life on the road. Before salvation, it was persecuting the church. After salvation, it was establishing churches. From Ephesus to Corinth to Philippi to Colossae. All over he went with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Into Thessalonica, into Athens, Corinth. Preaching the gospel, establishing churches. Used of God. That was all changing. He would no longer be on the road establishing churches. He'd be writing letters from a prison cell. Witnessing to guards ultimately standing before Caesar himself. See, you can look at Paul's life. God always had a purpose. Sometimes the way he used Paul was different. Standing up at Mars Hill, preaching down in Corinth by the river to Lydia, Thessalonica, Paul and Silas a night in a jail, times of preaching to the Jews and preaching to the Gentiles and on the road establishing churches. That was changing now. Confined. No longer on the move. Writing some letters back to Philippi and Ephesus and Colossae. Witnessing to his guards around him who would carry the gospel into Caesar's household. And he was writing back to Philippi. He would say, hey, these Christians up in Caesar's household want to wish you well. Ultimately, before Caesar, God had a purpose. Here he is on the boat, 
And he's saying, I'll tell you something, guys. I know we can worship God. I know if we look outside the window, it's, it's pretty dark. And right now we're rocking about, and we don't know how this boat's going to float. And the only reason it is floating is God's keeping it up. <laughs> we're throwing everything out. They would throw the wheat out, as you would read to the end of the story. They'd throw out their cargo and their tackle and everything, just trying to float and finally drive it into this ashore and every bit of it. But, but Paul would say, now, pause for a moment. Let's stop our fasting. The victory is ours. The storm is raging outside there. But we know this. We can thank and praise God. And we can do this. And and we do this because I'll tell you something. I'm already walking with him. I was walking with him before the storm. I'll walk with him through the storm. And on the other side of the storm, I'll still be walking with him. And it helped carry him through to praise his God. And and he said, we have a promise to hold. I, I have some promises. And he goes, fellas, I've been preaching those promises for a long time. I preached in Galatia and Philippi and Athens and Corinth. Everywhere I went, I preached the promise of the gospel and the promises of God's word and walking in the spirit. And he said, I tell you something, I believe what God has said, not only about this not life, but about all eternity. I have a promise. And there is a purpose in what God is doing. And this purpose, God will complete. So let's just pause and thank him. And let's just pause and praise him. I like the word Selah in the book of Psalms. Pause. A rest in the song that makes you come to a place of thought about what has been sung. Paul says, pause and praise. And here's how. I've been walking with him. And we have a promise Friend, God has a purpose. And God hasn't changed. I don't know. I don't know whether you're in the middle of a storm or whether one's coming. One or the other is true, right? There are are storms that are seasonal life. We're going to face them. They're similar in nature. We face them. There are storms that we walk into of our own making because we choose to ignore the godly counsel that are around us. He chose the, the ship's captain, chose the centurion, chose the expert, right? Not the counsel of God, chose the expert. That seems to be the curse of our age. Choosing the experts of the world rather than the counsel of God's word and the promises and truths that are therein. He sailed right into the storm. And there's some that we enter into just because of others. We're in storms not of our own making, but in the making of those that we love. Those that God placed in our life. But here is the answer to praising God in them all. Walk with the Lord, your God. Walk with him before the storm. Walk with him during the storm. Walk with him after the storm. Don't wait for the storm to arrive and then go looking for God. Walk with God before the storm arrives. He was already walking with them. And he had some promises, some incredible promises. The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Promises that will outlast me, promises that will outlast you, promises that outlasted Paul. The only one these promises won't outlast is the one who authored them because they're going to be around as long as he has. And he always has been and always will be a promise and a purpose. God may change. God, your God, the circumstance in your life may change, but God still 
has a purpose. You may have been on the road before and in a prison cell now, but God has a purpose. It amazes me. I, I love that verse in Philippians when it said the gospel went into Caesar's household. God didn't do that by a massive tent revival. God didn't do that at Mars Hill or at Pentecost. He did it from a prison cell. Isn't that amazing? I'm all for revivals. I believe we desperately need them. But they don't have to happen because of a crowd of 10,000 sitting in a tabernacle somewhere. They can happen by a man in a prison cell witnessing to a soldier and a guard on his knees in prayer, sharing the gospel with the one next to him because God has a purpose in it all. Don't tie God down to the way that you think it works. You get tied into the way God works. His purpose. I'm sure Paul faced some disappointment when he realized, I'm not on the road anymore. I'm not on the road anymore. But he knew. God said, Paul, I'm taking you to Rome. You're going to write some letters. You're going to see a man named Caesar. And you're going to share the gospel. But I have a purpose. Here in the middle of Eurachlodon, as Paul had those things in his life, he said, fellas, let's, let's break bread. Let's spend some time in thanks because the storm's already over. I know it's still going. But we know the outcome already. We know it. I've been walking with the one who controls it. I've heard the promise of the one who controls it. And he's got a purpose in it. So let's just thank God. And I will tell you something, Christian. Those same things bring a Christian to saying, let's just praise God in the middle of my storm. Because I've already been walking with him. I've got a promise. I've got a promise. And God has a purpose. Let's pray. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for the scripture that we have tonight. I thank you for this passage of scripture, the story of Eurachlodon and Lord of the storm that you would send along Paul's way to teach us some incredible lessons about our Lord and the way that you work in our life. I pray that as you have stirred in our hearts tonight, we would respond. Or whether it's a recommitment to our relationship with God or a searching of the heart or maybe we've let it wax cold or maybe there's just a call in our heart that says, I want to be closer. We sang the song a few minutes, they that wait upon the Lord and maybe that call in our heart, Lord, I want to wait upon the Lord. I want to know your presence Ring out in our heart even more. Maybe it's the promises of God's word. Maybe, Lord, we have them and we're familiar with them. It's a Sunday night, but maybe we've drifted from them and you called us back to them. Or maybe it's the purpose of God and just a simple reminder that you have a purpose in it. We must follow your purpose and watch you work. Lord, however it is that you have spoken to our heart, I pray that we would respond as, as you've called. Heads bowed, nice clothes. Let me ask you this question here this evening. How many of you can say, Preacher, I know the Lord, first of all. I, that's a settled thing. I'm not asking you if you know about him, and you and I know the difference. You can know about someone, but not know them personally. And It's not about knowing about God. It's about, do you know him? When did you come to know the Lord? You say, Preacher, I know for a fact I've trusted in the Lord, and heaven is my home, and I know Christ is my Savior, and that's a settled thing for me. Would you raise your hand as a testimony? Just between you and I and the Lord, say, Preacher, I have that. Thank you, may put your hand down. Is there anybody here this evening and say, Preacher, I'm unsure of my salvation, but I want to take care of that tonight? And you'd say, Preacher, would you pray for me? I want to put my trust in the Lord this evening. Is there anybody like that? 
Let me ask you this then, Christian. How many of you say, Preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart. And maybe it was one in one of the specific areas. Maybe it was that pre-existing relationship with God or the promises of God's Word or just the fact that God has a purpose. But maybe it was in something entirely different as the Scripture was read or preached that God reached and touched your heart. But you'd say, Preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart this evening. That's your testimony. Would you raise your hand? and Would you stand with me? And as God has spoken to your heart, and there's an altar that is open, a place of prayer, and... Why don't you meet with God tonight as the pianist begins to play and I don't know what it may be and maybe just to wait upon the Lord to go speak with him tonight but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and say, Lord, I need you in my life. I, I need that closer walk with the Lord and maybe it's a certain promise. Maybe the Lord reminded you of a promise tonight, a promise that you, that's grown dark in your mind and but you're going through a trial and God specifically reminds you of a promise to help carry you through it. But as God has spoken to your heart this evening, do business with the Lord tonight.